What's happening, everyone? Welcome into a special edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. You know who I am. I'm your host, Blaine Spencer, the host. But today, I've got a real opportunity and treat for you guys. I have one of the best to do it in the fighting business. I have Kevin Ioli, the boxing and MMA columnist for Yahoo Sports. It's a real honor to have him on the show. Kevin, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. How are you? I'm doing great, my man. It's uh, a privilege to be on with you. And uh, coming after that UFC 261, we got a lot to talk about. Thanks. Oh, it's going to be a loads of fun talking it up with you today. But uh, I want to talk about yourself first before we jump into all the fighting that's been taking place in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, Kevin, what really led you into sports media? And I know you cover specifically boxing and mixed martial arts. Was that always your passion from the start? Can you just elaborate and tell us a little bit about your story into the boxing and MMA sports journalism world? Yeah, I grew up in Pittsburgh uh, and I was a sports fan from the beginning and I had loved all sports, including boxing back in the day. You know, my father boxed in the army. He was a, uh, a boxing fan and he just got me into boxing from an early age. But that that wasn't necessarily my goal when I went in. I wanted to be a sports writer for as long as I can remember or an announcer. You know, I used to lay on the bed when I was a kid and, and announce imaginary baseball and football games and usually make myself the star of the game. Right. And uh, I did I did that stuff. But so I always wanted to be in sports media in some way. But like when you get in, it's a lot different than what you think it's going to be. And so sort of how I ended up getting uh, the opportunity to do fights is uh, when I was in college, I got a full time job at a uh, daily newspaper in suburban Pittsburgh uh, where I lived. And that paper, um, you know, they let me do a lot of great stuff. I got to cover Steeler games, you know. Pitt uh, football was number one in the country a lot at that time. I got to cover them. Uh, I covered indoor soccer and I hate soccer, but I got to do that. So I got to do a lot of stuff. But there used to be monthly boxing shows at uh, Howard Johnson's in Pittsburgh, low level shows. But I love boxing so much. And I said, hey, could I cover it? And so they laughed and they said, yeah, go ahead. So I used to cover those fights. Well, lo and behold, while I was still working there, we got a heavyweight championship fight. And my boss said to me, well, you know what? You've been the one covering boxing. You're the only reason we have any boxing coverage. So I'm going to let you cover the fight. So I went to that. Uh, it was Larry Holmes versus Ronaldo Snipes. And that fight, I believe, was 1981. So that would have been uh, the year I graduated college. And I got to uh, do that. And so it's just sort of was a thing that I was always doing other things, but I kept doing boxing. And then eventually it became more and more a specialty um, and then all of a sudden, that's what I became known for, like, uh, just covering fights. And uh, since I've been at Yahoo, I got to Yahoo in 2007, uh, exclusively the fighting, which is really nice. For you, how much of a difference was when you were covering those lower fights and then a heavyweight comes in, in the, for the championship in the 1980s? How, what was the difference for you, like atmosphere, just like the whole, uh, the whole aura around the stadium? How was that? Well, you know, I think you know how it is when, you know, you want to do stories and you want to interview people that, you know, other people care about and they want to see the interview and they want to, you know, and so um, 
I'm covering the fights and I realized not too many people were interested in what I was writing. And it was just like, they weren't reading the stories because they didn't know who the fighters were and they didn't know who I was and, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Now all of a sudden the heavyweight championship comes in and, you know, that was what, 40 years ago. So a lot of people were interested in, you know, in that fight, you know, boxing was really big back at that, at that time. And so there's a lot of people. So of course it's like exciting for me because now I know, okay, I am covering the tippy top of this particular sport, you know, it was kind of like the Super Bowl of boxing. And, um, you know, so it was great. I mean, I got a chance to see some really, you know, the funny thing about boxing is kind of like baseball, you know, I think boxing and baseball were the two sports for a long time where you really had a lot of good writers involved. You know, they were writer sports, you know, football, not quite as much, but uh, boxing and, and baseball, you know, historically over the years, if you look back at some of the great writers, they covered those two sports. And so I got a chance to meet meet a lot of really good writers and learn from them as, as I was kind of getting started. And that, and that was uh, invaluable to me. And how is the boxing world for you since covering it in the eighties and the early nineties and now into the 2020s, how has, how has the world of fighting evolved in your opinion, especially now with MMA being brought into the fold, but boxing as a whole as well? Well, you know, if we think of boxing, I mean, certainly boxing, I think each decade kind of lost in pop overall popularity, right? The people who like it, like it probably really a lot, but there's not as many people who like it as is used to like it. And I think part of that is the way it's been promoted, you know, that you have, um, the, the best fights aren't always made. And, you know, there's so many, we hear the other side of the street and that's always a problem because I, the, the public doesn't care about your business problems. They want to see what they want to see. And if they go to a restaurant and say, well, I can't serve you the best steak because this guy won't deliver to my restaurant. Hey, that's your problem, right? Figure it out. And, um, and I think that, you know, boxing's had years of neglect and that's hurt. MMA has come around. And I think when Lorenzo Fertitta and Dana White teamed up in, uh, in 2001, you know, basically what they said was they were huge boxing fans. And they said, let's keep what we like about boxing and let's take out the things we think are wrong with boxing. And that was sort of how they modeled the UFC. And we see that that's been very successful. So, you know, um, it's different now. And it's kind of funny for me to say, well, you know, that I cover MMA more than I cover boxing, you know, but I think that's probably true just on the relative merits of, of what our readers are interested in. Do you think that the way boxing and the promotions and especially the money has been a lot of an, the problem with trying to set up with those major fights, unlike in UFC, Dana White is really negotiable and he's the only person that's really trying to bring in the two different parties while you have multiple entities in boxing. Do you think that could be also a key component of why boxing has kind of seen a decline and UFC's on the rise? Well, here's what I think the biggest issue is there, you know, in, in boxing, you have, there's no barrier to entry. And so you can get anybody come in and they have one of the best fighters in the world and they are a player in the sport, even though they have no background in the sport, they, they have never promoted before, but they have that one fighter who's now a top level uh, competitor and they have a lot of say over when he fights, who he fights, where he fights, you know, all those kind of things where you go into the UFC and you look at it and the UFC is perceived by most people as the number one organization by far. And so if you're in the UFC, you're considered 
just by virtue of that, the best of the best. Now, all, already we have the best of the best in this organization. And then they, they fight, you know, uh, they make, they pay attention to the rankings and they make people fight their way up to the top. And it's not always, you know, linear, but it's very close to that. And so, you know, I, I think that's the difference, the way the promotions are structured and that, and the UFC was able to structure that way because it was a dead sport when uh, Lorenzo and Dana bought it. Whereas boxing, you know, now boxing was on a decline as they bought it, uh, but it was still an established sport and the titles are owned by other people other than the promoters. In this case, the UFC's case and Bellator's case and whatnot, in MMA, largely the promoters uh, control their own titles. And since the UFC is considered the most significant promoter and the biggest promoter out there, their title carries the most weight with the fighters and with the fans. Okay, that makes a lot more sense with how the the differences in trying to, especially in boxing, you're trying to unify belts at times, like the recent uh, Lomachenko-Lopez fight uh, is one of the big fights that have taken place recently. Um, but for you, when you're writing a story, what kind of angle that do you try to bring in to, to your readers? Well, you know, I, 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 the one thing I don't want to do, and I, I did this, you know, no matter when I covered uh, baseball, you know, and I, I covered... Uh, hockey, I always tried, what is the story behind the story? And if I can tell a human element, that's what, you know, because after all, these are human beings playing games that we've all played. And I want to tell the story of those people. And, you know, when you relate it to fighting, you know, if you see two guys fighting on the corner, do you really care that much? But if you know a little bit about why they're fighting and what the argument's about and what's going on, then you become more interested. And so if you have interest in a particular fighter, you know, you're going to want to read about that fighter. And so I try to show a little bit of uh, the, the fighter side and, you know, the struggle, like I always love the struggle that the fighters face, you know, and so what it's like, you know, on their way up, you know, maybe they overcame extreme poverty on their way up, or they had some serious injury that they had overcome. Uh, or they, they lost a bunch of fights and they were told they weren't good enough and they didn't believe it. You know, but tell that their story, what makes them them. I, I love to do that. I think people really like to know that, you know, I, there's not a lot of people out there that want to know X's and O's and that want to know, you know, how this one, you know, on the really big fights. Yes. You know, they, then that becomes a different story. You know, everybody's interested in it and they want to know the matchup, but, you know, for the most part, I think, you know, if you can show who these uh, athletes are as human beings and why they're relatable to you, I think, you know, you'll get more people interested in your story, more people reading them, and then they becomes bigger fans of the sport. And it kind of then, you know, it all falls along and it builds your audience. And that audience grew for you when you, in 2007, when past winners gave you the Nat Fleischer Award, how humbling was that for you to be able to get that recognition that you were putting in the work and you were getting the recognition that you awfully deserved? Well, thank you. I mean, you know, the, the Fleischer Award uh, was, as you mentioned, is an award for career excellence in boxing journalism, and it's a, voted on only by former winners. And so you, when I, at the time I won, I look at the people who were alive and who voted and it, it was giants in the industry. And so obviously that, you know, it was an extraordinary moment for me. You know, these were people I looked up to and I read their books and I read their newspapers and everything in their magazine articles, everything that they did, because I, I love journalism from a long age and I love good writing from a, uh, from a young age. 
And so it was remarkable, you know, for me to be able to win that award. And, you know, it changed my life because basically what happened is once I won that, you know, I was part of a group, um, not that I necessarily would ever equate myself with any of them, of some of the greatest boxing writers of who ever lived. And so people like yourself, you know, see that and they they want to talk to me because I won that award that so many of these these greats have won. You know, I'm certainly not on the level of, of some of those people, but it was just an, it's incredible to have your name next to them. There's no doubt about it. So before we transitioned into this past weekend and some of the fights that have transpired, I want to go in. I have a couple fan questions sure. uh, that some fans gave me and they want to ask to ask you. First question was, what was the favorite interview that you have been able to conduct in your career? Oh, wow. Um, you know, there have been so many, um, interviews that I've done that I loved. I, I think the one I would say that pops to my mind right off the top of my head will be a, a YouTube interview I did with Mike Tyson last year. And, and, and it was really good because I, I interviewed him about his life and what, what he was doing now. But we ended up talking about uh, a funny story that happened in 2003, I think it was, Mike had called me because I had written a story on him and he called me to thank me for the story. But when I got the phone call, I thought it was somebody impersonating Tyson. So I hung up the phone and I said, yeah, yeah, thank you, Mike. Okay, bye, click. And I hang up. And then a couple of days later, I go to the gym to interview Mike. And then he says to me, you hung up the phone on me. And I was like, I thought that was the worst Tyson impersonation ever. That was really you. And, and then we talk on this interview, we talk, it's on YouTube. If you search my name and his name, you'll find it. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, and he said that the story where I hung up on him was the best story anybody had ever written about him. So I, I, that, I liked that story because I showed another side of Mike and, I, and, and our relationship. And, you know, we had been through a lot over the years so that's one that really sticks out i guess one other one that i liked is um i wrote a story on a guy named dewey bozella and he was in you know he was convicted and in prison of a murder that it turned out he did not commit um and then he went you know he was a boxer just getting started uh when he went to prison uh and he always wanted to fight so bernard hopkins heard about a story and and put dewey on one of his undercards when he got released from prison so then i, I did that and that was that was an interview that i'll that's incredible. The Tyson impersonation is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Yeah, and I hung up the phone on him, and then I see him in the locker room, and he's like, what did you hang up on me for? And I'm like, oh, no. Did you ever think that he was going to get back into the ring like he has this year? No, never. You know, I mean, I knew he loved it, and he missed it. And all those guys, you know, they, you know, they miss it so badly. But never did I think we would see that. I thought, you know, Mike – had, you know, he kind of had mellowed and, and turned the page. And obviously uh, we're seeing that, uh, that he still has that fire in him. And him and Holyfield are going to get back in the ring. Pretty soon they are. That's absolutely crazy. All right. So the next one, um, I know you've covered so many events, but they're, they want to know what was the favorite event that you've been able to attend? Yeah. You know, um, I guess just from, uh, you know, memories would be Tyson Holyfield too, because that was the bite fight. Um, and we went crazy doing stories like um, the newspaper. We had six or seven reporters covering that fight. 
but most of them just left, you know, the, all the, all hell broke loose and they said, we don't want to be part of this. And they left. And uh, one of my c- colleagues at the uh, newspaper, I was working at the Las Vegas review journal and I, he and I, we went through the casinos and uh, I was on the phone. Uh, so remember, you know, this is in 1997. So cell phones were out then and I had a cell phone, but like indoors, they didn't work, especially in a place like a casino. And I'm at the MGM grand. And so I'm using pay phones to call in updates to the city desk to give information about what I'm finding. And so I had seen uh, two very prominent NBA players turning over blackjack tables. Later, they were accused of stealing blackjack chips by the hotel, but I saw them turning over the tables, not stealing any money. So I'm calling that, calling that in and I'm on the phone and I'm looking and there's a guy standing next to me. There's a bank of like four or five pay phones. And, you know, maybe young uh, people watching this podcast won't remember what a pay phone was, but they used to have those put a dime in, not a quarter, a dime, and it would work. And, um, and I'm looking over and this guy has got like a vest on, but no shirt and a bunch of chains. And then he's got a pistol sticking out of his waistband. And I'm on the phone talking about, you know, criminal activity. And I said to the person, it's a little bit before two in the morning and the paper's going to be done at two. And I go, I need to call you back. And she's like, no, 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 don't hang up. I said, I got to call you back. So I hang up and I walk to another bank of payphone. And she starts to yell at me. And I said, I was standing next to a dude with a gun and I'm talking about crimes in the casino. I said, don't worry about it. So that, to me, like that night. Uh, and then when we were finally done, um, uh, my colleague and I, we go back to the uh, ground floor of the MGM where the arena was. And we're saying, do we do everything we can do? And just then we see Kirk Kerkorian, who is the owner of the MGM grand. He's one of the richest people in the world. And he comes down with uh, a guy named at the time was the president of the MGM, a guy named Dan Wade. So it's reconfigured a little bit now, but at the time there was a bathroom right there where we were standing. Mm-hmm. So Kirk Kerkorian standing there and Dan Wade goes into the bathroom. They were actually leaving the hotel and Dan goes in the bathroom and I looked at Joe and he looked at me and we said, we got to interview Kirk Kerkorian. What do you think about uh, Mike Tyson biting Holyfield? So we walk over and, and I said, Mr. Kerkorian, and I stick my hand out and we introduce ourselves. And next thing you know, Dan Wade comes flying out of the bathroom and he grabs Kirk and he goes, no interviews. And he shoves him back into the bathroom and he's blocking the door. And so Kirk at that time was, you know, in his eighties, you know, he lived at close, you know, in the late nineties, I think it was, uh, but, you know, he was in his late 80s, uh, but he was married to a pro tennis player. You know, his wife was like 20 something at the time. Um, and he sh- and, but Dan didn't want him doing any interviews and shove. So even all the craziness that went on that entire night, then we cap it with Kirk or Corey and, and him uh, getting shoved into a bathroom. So it was very funny. And there was a lot that went on in between that I, d- I don't have time to talk about, but it was crazy. That's insane. Dan Wade made sure he was not giving you a quote. At night at 2 a.m. <laughs> Nothing good happens after 2 a.m., right? No, definitely definitely not from a, a, a casino executive standpoint. For sure. All right. And then the, uh, the last uh, fan question we have, um, I know this is a little bit, uh, this is like a two-parter. They want to know your, your top pound-for-pound pound boxers or, in the U- or UFC fighters right now. 
if you want to do like a top three or a top five. Well, yeah, no, I can. Let me just pull my uh, site up. We have that on. So if you go to Yahoo Sports on either the boxing page or the MMA page, at the very top is a thing that says pound for pound. So um, right now, my top three in MMA are John Jones, Kamaru Usman, and Dustin Poirier. And I'm thinking about dropping Jones, you know, I um, because he hasn't fought in a while. I mean, I think he's still the best in the world, but he hasn't fought in 15 months. So where do, what do we do for inactivity? Mm-hmm. And uh, in boxing, I have um, Canelo Alvarez, number one, Terrence Crawford, number two, and Noya Inouye, number three. So okay. uh, that's those are my top in the, the, the men's uh, boxing and men's MMA. And yeah, for Jones, just because he hasn't fought, do you think do you think him getting in the ring is going to happen anytime soon? Especially like, I know he's contemplated either moving up to heavyweight potentially or potentially going to move down just to try and like spice up his competition. Well, he's not going to move down. You know, he weighs 250 pounds right now. So uh, he's not going to be going down uh, to 185. That's for sure. You know, no way he would be able to do that. He was named Bones when he was weighing 205. So I don't think we're going to see him, uh, you know, he would be sticks if he was at uh, 185. So he's not going to be doing that. But, uh, you know, I hope we see him come back. I mean, John's such a great fighter, you know, one of the greatest fighters, if not the greatest who ever lived. And, you know, that's, you know, the public always wants to see those kind of people. Right. And so to me, to my way of thinking, I hope he comes back. You know, I think eventually the UFC and he will settle their differences and, and get a fight made, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's a shame. We're not seeing him right now. Yeah. And I, you said you had Poirier at three right now. Do you, uh, is that just, how do you think that combats with Khabib now retiring and then everything else, especially in that weight class? Yeah, I had Habib number one, but, you know, you remove him when he retires. You know, you're not an active fighter. You're not in the pound for pound list anymore. And so I removed him. I mean, you know, you look at what Habib did. And I mean, how many guys in my top 10 right now? Let me just go back to my MMA top 10. And if you look at, you know, I think there's three or four guys in my top 10 that Habib had beaten. So I have uh, Poirier number three. uh, Habib beat him. I have uh, Justin Gaethje, number seven, Habib beat him. Um, and I, I t- just recently took Connor out of my top 10. Um, I, you know, I put Francis Ngannou in in place of Connor, uh, but I had Connor in for the longest time and Connor's right, you know, right there. So, I mean, to me, that is, um, you know, Habib just beating the best of the best of the best. It just shows you what a great athlete he was. No doubt. So speaking of, championships let's jump into ufc 261 it had three of them yeah fans were back just like what was for you i know you weren't in attendance from what i was watching your ig live this past week and you weren't in attendance you said you weren't going to be attending um so for you what was the overall display i know there was a huge especially right before the championship fights the whole chris weidman injury that kind of took the air out of the entire building and it was incredible that the championship fights were able to bring the air back so just yes it did kevin can you just elaborate on your overall impression of 261 
Yeah, I mean, I thought it was one of the best cards UFC's had in a long time. I mean, I thought it just, you know, I think maybe going back to what UFC 248 or 249, you know, the first one after the pandemic was just a crazy card with a lot of great fights. Um, and I, you know, this one was of that ilk, right? I mean, there was just so many good fights and crazy things that happened. The first fight of the night, I was thinking, hey, this could be the fight of the night, right? The two women came out and, you know, I think uh, Leong, uh, the Chinese fighter, she kind of screwed herself because I think she was so amped up by the crowd and they were so into it and, you know, so much that she didn't really fight her fight. And she just went crazy and tore at Carnalosi and, uh, you know, she ends up losing the fight. But I thought that that really set a tone that the rest of the card followed. And without fail, I mean, it was great fight after great fight after great fight. These guys were and girls were really going at it um, and, and just a phenomenal. So to me, you know, that was it. And then, you know, I think the, the, the other things that stand out on the three title fights, you know, number one, Kamaru Usman, it's just you know his excellence i mean doing you know look at the run that he's on now just this amazing run of you know wins over elite fighters and he knocks uh george masvidal at masvidal's own game i mean just absolutely amazing valentina shevchenko showing what she is you know this this phenomenal uh icon you know who could be the best pound for pound woman in the world get, the, lost- get her with nunez in the ring somebody please they fought twice and nunez won both but, you know, remember, Amanda's a lot bigger than, yeah. than Valentina. And both fights were so close, especially yeah. that second one. They could have, you know, gone either way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got that, you know, going. And then, you know, for Rose to become the first uh, woman to regain a UFC title and the way she did it against somebody like uh, Wiley. Wow. So, I mean, they, you know, you want your big fights to close the show strong. And boy, did it ever do that. I mean, for me, I think Rose really stole the show the way she really just even like you could just feel like the air stop after the kick hit lands. And then the absolute chaos that ensued after Whaley hit the deck. But like she I mean, like especially she beat I think a lot of them beat them at their own game. I think Shevchenko was the one who actually fought her game, her style in the fight. But the other two kind of went pound for pound with against with Usman against Masvidal standing up, right? And as well as uh, Nama Yunus, she tried to take it with Whaley's pound for pound hitting style. So I think it was really intriguing to see how two out of the three fights kind of tried to take, they beat them at the, their opponent's own game. Well, even Shevchenko did that because, you know, Andrade said before the fight, I don't think Shevchenko has very good wrestling. And so what did uh, Shevchenko do? She went on and she wrestled and she was seven for seven in takedowns. And so, uh, it was, uh, you know, she certainly said, I'm going to show you. And I thought she was the most impressive uh, of the champions doing that. You know, uh, Usman uh, certainly, you know, was and Rose getting the knockout uh, as early as she did, but, you got to give it to uh, uh, Shevchenko. I mean, she just dominated, and she did it by wrestling, which Andrade thought was going to be her strong suit. Would she be your top performer of the night, Shevchenko, then? Uh, you know, I think Shevchenko deserved that. You know, it's hard to to not give it to Usman because, you know, he could be the pound-for-pound pound best male in the world. But, I mean, look what we saw on that card. You had five champions on that card in the in the final three fights. Um, just incredible night. You could you could really give it to any any one of those. But I think, you know, it was such a systematic beating by Valentina and, she, and, and so emphatic. And she showed how good she really is, you know, and, and – and I think when you look at it from that standpoint, you got to say she was the fighter of the night. 
I can't argue with it at all whatsoever. But before I know it's hard to talk about Chris Weidman, uh, the injury, it kind of just was horrible to watch, especially when he didn't realize until he planted to try and brace himself after coming back down. Um, very vivid pictures. If we, we totally disclosed. If you don't want to see the video, do not watch it. It's very, very tough to see. Um, but Uriah Hall, he ended up taking, winning it because of the injury, of course. And Weidman now has been, out of the three instances that a leg has snapped on a leg kick, he's been a part of two of them. Yeah. Just how has, what is your overall concern for that? I know he posted a video today about already having a game plan to get him back into the training facility in about six months to get back to potentially getting back in the octagon. Just what do you see in his motivation to try and will himself back out there, like how Anderson Silva did when it happened against Weidman? If I did not know better, I would swear Chris Weidman was not human. For him to do what he's, you know, say what he's going to do and have the kind of attitude that he has, it's just remarkable. Um, but, you know, the thing that I think about what happened in this fight is a reminder to us as fans, you know, sometimes we want to you know, complain about a fight being stopped too early and, you know, whatever, and a guy tapping too soon, you know, these people are risking their lives in their biscuit for our entertainment. And you never have to forget that. And so I think when you saw what Chris Weidman went to, you know, went through, if you were watching that, it was a very graphic example of the risks, the very real risks these fighters are taking. You know, I was ringside for seven fighters who died all in boxing. I had one of them actually fall on me, come through the ropes and fall on me at ringside. And that never leaves you. And so, I, you know, like I always hope that fans who saw that particular incident with Weidman recognize what these fighters all are risking. And then if, if they see a fight stop too soon, yeah, you, know, you may feel like, oh, he could have gone on, but understand why the referees are doing that, you know, because that to me, it, you know, is something that the people who aren't in the business sometimes don't think of the human toll that um, that these fights take. And there is a very real human toll that it takes. And uh, uh, Chris Weidman just reminded everybody on Saturday what that is. A very unfortunate way to have people reflect about the entire sport as a whole and then being able to cherish those moments that, that these guys are putting them, their lives on the line for our for us to enjoy how well that they're good at, at their sport that they're accustomed to do. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, and you gotta, you know, I mean, I've seen fights where fighters, as I say, fighters have died and it's like, do I ever want to see another fight again? Mm -hmm. um, but I realize, you know, the fighters are dying doing what they love yeah. um, and they get injured doing what they love. Um, and the incident is actually lower than people would think. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I can, I can, you know, reckon with it, but it's tough and just always have sympathy for them and their family. Imagine what Chris Weidman's wife is now uh, going to go through because he, you know, he said today he's not going to be able to walk for what was it? Eight weeks. I think he said, Yeah, he said, uh, hopefully without crutches in eight weeks. Yeah. You know, so his wife is going to have a, a lot on her hands dealing with a 230 pound husband that she's got to move around and help in that house. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, that we we watch the fight. We said, oh, I hope he's OK. And then we move on to the next one and we forget about, you know, there's going to be a lot going on behind the scenes. And, you know, that goes back to one of the earlier questions you you asked me. 
that's what I like to write about, like these kind of things. Like what I remember, you know, the third one, you didn't mention the third leg that snap was Corey Hill. And I actually wrote a story. I talked to Corey and not long after he broke a leg. And unfortunately he, he subsequently passed away, not due to the leg injury, but you know, he passed away, but, you know, I, I remember talking about his rehab and what he was going through and mentally how hard it was on him. Uh, and, and it was just, it was just remarkable to hear him talk. And um, those are the kind of stories that I think the people really want to hear, you know, what, what is Chris Weidman thinking now? What is Chris Weidman, you know, and we have to respect his privacy when he's ready to talk to the media, he'll talk, but um, what, 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 motivates him to want to continue on after having this happen you know every one of the fighters that had this happen Anderson Silva Chris Weidman and Corey Hill they all said they wanted to come back and fight again two of the three made it back um and so you know we'll see uh you know we'll see if Chris makes it back but uh you know it's it's a sobering reminder of the of the brutality of combat sports mm -hmm. and let's transition I want to before we transition uh to boxing and talking about Jake Paul I want to the trilogy fight, you said you have McGregor, you just took him out of your top 10, and Poirier is now at your third third on your rankings list. Um, what is your accustomed to see what you want to see out of that trilogy fight? I know it's still ways away in, in uh, comparison, but still, that's one of the next big fights up and coming. What do you want to see out of that? Well, you know, I want to see a decisive winner. You know, I want to see no controversy, no argument that it was too quick a stoppage or, you know, a bad decision. You know, I want it to be a clean because that person is probably going to be the next challenger for the title. Right. So the winner of that fight. So I think that we want to see that person get a clean, clear, convincing victory. Um, you know, I think in both of the first two fights, we saw that, you know, there was no argument about Connor's knockout of Dustin, no argument about Dustin's knockout of Connor. Uh, so now we come back um, this third one, let's have it one more time. Who is the better man? Who wins that trilogy and who gets the title shot? That's really what I want to see. I mean, I think that their styles are such that we can't help but have a great fight, right? I mean, they're, they're offensive style fighters. Um, they have a lot of different tools. So I think we can't help but have a great fight. So we just want to see a clear winner and no controversy so that when we go to the championship and whoever wins and whoever wins at uh, UFC 262 uh, coming up, Chandler or Oliveira, that we have clear cut, you know, fighters that there, there, there's nothing on their resume that's now questionable that makes people uh, say they don't deserve to be where they are. Agreed. I completely agree. I, I definitely want to see, especially after Connor's reacted, because he's kind of been slow since coming back in the last couple of years, trying to bounce back this time. He's going to have a full training camp really before at before and after the Poirier loss and defeat. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. So Kevin, before uh, I let you go, I want to transition to boxing real quick with the whole thriller situation and Jake Paul, he's three and oh, I just want to see what's your overall credibility towards Paul and these victories. He's beaten Nate Robinson, uh, former basketball player, as well as Ben Asker, a former uh, MMA specialist. So for you, how, what's the credibility like and what do you want to see next out of him? Well, you know, I think he still has something to prove to boxing fans, right? I, I don't think he's proven that he's a great boxer yet. Um, 
but you know, I give him credit. You know, I mean, hey, look, if you watched the UFC show the other day, you heard what I heard. The fans chanting "F Jake Paul." So uh, obviously, uh, he's made a name for himself, right? You know, he's built. You know, he, uh, Daniel Cormier got up out of his seat from broadcasting and went over and confronted him. So Jake Paul is making a lot of money, and he's making a lot of people take notice of him, which is a good thing in combat sports. Now, I am not big on you know what I would call gimmick fights, and you know that's a gimmick fight in Raycon versus. Joe Fournier was a gimmick fight. And I even think these, you know, Tyson, Holyfield, those are all gimmick fights. Um, I, I've expressed to the uh, Ryan Kavanaugh of Triller my belief that they got a lot of good things going on. You know, I love the way they're doing the music and trying to, you know, blend the two worlds together, but do it with real fights. And I think that, the, you know, they're trying to transition to that and event, you know, their Teofimo Lopez card will be what Ryan Kavanaugh tells me as of now that they took the Holyfield Kevin McBride fight off that undercard. Um, and so that's going to be all boxing, you know, legit. What he says is going to be a legit box. I don't want to say it is legit boxing because I haven't seen the matches yet, but that he says will be legit boxing matches. That's good, um, people. That, I think that's where they need to go. And as far as what, what Jake is, you know, I've talked to a number of people who have been at Mayweather boxing club when he's training and say the guy can fight. Um, I haven't seen it in a fight yet. You know, he hasn't been in the ring all that long. Um, so I want to see that, but I think, you know, Hey, maybe he has potential to be good. You know, we're going to have to see him facing better competition. Um, I think he's got a few more of these, you know, gimmick fights uh, uh, for the lack of a better term lined up and we're going to see him do that. And then eventually, you know, maybe uh, he'll get into fighting box real boxers. Um, but I hope he turns out to be good because you know what? He's got a fan base already and he's got people that want to watch him. And if he's good and actually can fight, that's only going to be good for boxing. Yeah, and my overall critique of Jake Paul has been just show me you get show me yourself against a boxer because I need to see it because right. I've never Ben Askren I've never seen a man so happy that, that he got knocked out. I, I think you probably you've seen the video with him walking out with his wife. I've never seen a man so happy just to come in and take a paycheck and walk out because it felt like it didn't really feel like he was really out there from the get go to really. I think he started a little bit out fast and I think he came to saying, what's, what's the best way to, for me to take this check and walk out here and be walk out. Okay. I don't know. What I, I thought Askren would fight better than he fought. Right. Um, I actually thought he would win and not because I thought he was a great striker. Cause I knew he wasn't a good striker, but I thought he would win because of this. He's been in fights before. He knows how to control his emotions in a fight. And I didn't know if Jake Paul knew that, right? Jake Paul fought guys that he pretty much knew he was going to be able to beat. Um, now he's fighting a guy that knew how to fight and was going to be calm and was going to be ready. Um, but it looked like Ben didn't train. You know, I, I talked to Freddie Roach after the fight. And Freddie had told me when I interviewed him, and I was a little annoyed at Freddie because he told me, oh, Ben was in great shape on day one. And I go like, Freddie, I mean, did you see him? Yeah, and Freddie said, I, he, he was with me for his first week of training camp. And then I didn't see him again. He goes, the guy that I saw in the ring was not the guy that was in my gym working out every day. Um, so, you know, Ben looked like he didn't train to me. That's, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, but if he wasn't in shape, you know, the, the way I thought he was going to win the fight, kind of make it ugly, hold, you know, for entire Paul out for a few rounds. And then when he was tired out, you know, maybe he started hitting him with punches and stop him. Um, you had to be in cardio shape to do that. And 
if if there was anything you would have said to me that J, uh, that Ben Askren could do in the fight well, I would say it would be have cardio. And then when he blew that, he really had no chance. Absolutely. And now, Kevin, before I let you go, this is my final question for you tonight. Um, what is the fight, if you had any choice, if it was in the boxing world or in the UFC world, what's the fight you want to see happen right now? Well, if it, I hope it's okay to give one of each because I, I there's two yeah. fights that I really have. Means. I have. So I'm going to say on the boxing side, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. And on the MMA side, Francis Ngannou and John Jones. I think we got to see that happen. To me, that would be the ultimate, you know, uh, I think John would win that fight if he fights Francis. I think John's game is so so good and so well-rounded. He'd find a way to beat Francis. Uh, but I want to see him do it. And I think that would um, be an affirmation of his greatness as a fighter. Uh, so those would be the two I like. All right. What, what are your thoughts on Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford potentially? That's a fight that I have called for many times. I love that fight. Uh, the two best welterweights in the world. And it, it is absolutely ridiculous that we're not seeing that. So I think, uh, you know, I think that's a fight that should be made. And I would, I would uh, hope gets made at some point this year. But the way businesses run, uh, going back to what we talked about before, um, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for it. Darn. We can only hope. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your evening to come onto the final whistle sports podcast and uh, talk it up with me. Is there anything that you want to say to my fans to where check you out, stuff like that? Well, I appreciate uh, you Blaine for uh, having me. And uh, if anybody wants to follow me on social media, on Twitter, I am at Kevin, I K E V I N I. And on uh, Instagram, I'm Kevin Ioli, K-E-V-I-N-I-O-L-E. Just a warning, if you follow me on uh, Instagram, you'll get a lot of uh, fight pictures, but you also get a lot of pictures of my Basset Hound and in my golf game. So just be, be prepared for that. His swing looked okay this past weekend. I can validate. I watched the video. <laughs> well, everyone, uh, Kevin, I hope we can do this again soon. It was a real pleasure to have you on. Thank you again. You got it, brother. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, that was your special edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. Go tune in, and I've got some major announcements coming out in the middle of this week. Be on the lookout. Have a good one.